Well, this summer we are endeavoring to get smart as we work through the book of Proverbs. And no, that wasn't somebody who was really late for church or didn't want to get wet, that smart car out there. And I know that some of you thought, who would park there? The nerve of some people. They just like, man, I, d- I don't want to walk in the rain. I'm parking here. No, that's our smart car. We're Get Smart, so you can take your picture out with the smart car. That's a donation, actually, from um, Ben's in Oakville. And they said, yeah, you guys can use that at your campuses for a few weeks just to have a smart car with the Get Smart series. So if you want to take your picture with it or see if you can hotwire it or something, go for it. But we've got, we've, we've got the smart car out there, and you can, you, can, you can tweet about it that we've got the smart car for the Get Smart series this summer. But have anybody heard, have anybody been following Hidden Cash on Twitter, at Hidden Cash? Anybody? Yeah, have, you, have, you, have you heard about this? You can, you can look it up right now on your phones or on your devices. If you don't want to pay attention to me, there's some interesting content on there. It's called at Hidden Cash, all one word. And what it is, there is a gentleman in San Francisco. He was a wealthy real estate mogul. He kind of he bought and sold properties, like large business-sized properties, and so he had a lot of extra income. And he wanted to give back to his community. So he thought, I know what I could do that would be really fun. I'm going to start this Twitter account called At Hidden Cash, publicize it around the town. And then what he did was he, start, he started to take pictures of $100 bills, and he hid them in different locations throughout San Francisco. And then every 10 minutes or every half an hour, he would send out a little more of the picture or a little clue as to where that $100 bill was hidden. So people would follow it, and then there would be this mass race when people triggered into where it was, and they'd be driving to get there. Thankfully, there was no car accidents reported yet as, as a result of that hidden cash. But people would get these $100 bills, and then what was really neat is that they would start to give back out of the $100 that they got. They didn't say, I got the 100 bucks. I'm pocketing that. Thank you. They began to, okay, I'm going to go into Starbucks and buy coffee for everybody. Or they would, they would go and they would share in the spoils, which was what the intention of this hidden cash project was, which is a really neat idea for this guy who had this kind of ability and, uh, to, to give back, to be that generous. Now, most of us, when we get a picture of a wealthy person who's got all this extra money, we don't get the image of somebody who's extra generous, do we? The first picture that comes to my mind is Scrooge. Like that Ebenezer Scrooge, he grabbed every last penny and he pinched it and he held on to it because he wanted to make sure that he had that money and that's how he maybe made that money. Well, this summer, as we look at Get Smart in the book of Proverbs, we're looking at eight different areas of our lives where the book of Proverbs speaks to the way that we function and the way that we handle our business. And this week, as we look at generosity, we're going to look at the way that we manage not only our finances, but who we are, all of our resources, and everything that we have. Are we living generously? And can we see, does the book of Proverbs as well, as does the whole context of Scripture, does it maybe challenge some of the thoughts and, and, and habits that we're accustomed to. Now, there was a song that was out when I was back in my uh, middle school days. Nate, can I borrow your guitar this morning? Is that all right? Okay. There, were, there was a song, and I thought, you know what would be fun this morning? If we, if, we, if we sang along or played along with this song and just reminisced a little bit. Do you remember the song about something about having a lot of money and what they would do if they, if, if they had all the money? I was, I, was, I was in the 80s. So do you remember, oh, I guess I got to sit down. There's no strap on this bad boy. Okay, we'll, we'll sit down. But do you, do you remember, this, remember the song? It was, uh, are we up, Nate? There we go. We got to turn the thing. There we go. <laughs> we got to turn the thing. 
Remember what his name was? If I had a million dollars If I had a million dollars Well, I'd buy you a house I would buy you Who would take a million dollars for the house this morning right now? Josh and Ruby, right there. They want the million dollars. If I had a million dollars If I had a million dollars Well, I'd buy you an exotic pet like a llama Remember the Ikea monkey <laughs> And if I had a million dollars If I had a million dollars Well I'd buy you a K-car Or maybe a smart car We could park it out in front of the church and if I had a million dollars I'd buy you love But of course we'd eat craft dinner. We'd just eat more. <laughs> I had a million dollars. I'd be rich. Remember that song? <laughs> it's fun to imagine what life would be like if we had all that kind of resource and what we would do. And that song was just fun. All the goofy things that we would do if we just had money to blow and we could just do whatever we wanted to do. But good biblical perspective says that the Lord is the owner of everything, so really, our resources are limitless. If, if we really get into the Word, and we really know that we're Christ's followers, and that Christ, He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, is one of the verses that we go back to, but He owns everything. He has all those resources, and He can call them into His need when He has need of them. And we know that the, Lord, the resources of the Lord are limitless. And our job is to figure out how to live life in light of that understanding. Now, Scripture has a ton to say about money and giving and generosity. Some people say there's over a thousand verses. Some people say there's up to 2,000 verses specifically dealing with wealth and greed and money and the distribution of finances. And we're going to study every one of those this morning. No, just... <laughs> It does seem like a good thing for us to study, and because I have to go pick up my wife and our missions team at the airport this afternoon, I've narrowed it down to 17 out of those 2,000, so we'll be out of here in a good, good on time. But we're going to go to Proverbs uh, chapter 11, and we're going to read five of the verses here, verses 24 through 28, and if you need a copy of scripture just to uh, read along, you need a copy of the Bible this morning to borrow, just uh, put your hand up, and Manir or Mark will make sure that you get a copy. And if not, uh, you can follow along in, in your Bible or on your, uh, on your phone or your, or your tablet. We're in Proverbs 11, verses 24 through 28. Here's what it says. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. People curse the one who hoards grain but they pray God's blessing on the one who is willing to sell. Whoever seeks good finds favor, but evil comes to the one who searches for it. Those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. 
So this morning, I want to spend the rest of our 20 minutes or so together attempting to answer the question, why does God want us to live generous lives? Because he does. And we'll see that through scripture. But why does he want us to live these lives of generosity? Well, first is that generosity releases us from the grip of scarcity. Who's read this, the, habits of, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People? Have you read that book? came out in the 90s and something that we base back oftentimes to. Habits that people who have found success have put into their lives and they become accustomed to. And these are some of the things that they found to be, to be good for them. Well, there's this concept that is developed within the Seven Habits book. And it's scarcity mentality versus abundance mentality. And it's under the, it's under the, the think win-win principle. And the scarcity mentality says this. There's a pie, and it's divvied up into so many pieces. Some people, if, you're, if you like your pie, there's four pieces of pie. And maybe if you're, if you're a little more judicious, maybe there's eight pieces of pie. And if you've been to Thanksgiving with a larger family, larger in number, not larger in size, I'm saying, you know, like 15 people or so, you go to, you go to, you go to Thanksgiving dinner, and you know if there's eight pieces of pie and there's 10 people at dinner, two of you aren't getting pie. And scarcity, scarcity mentality says, if there's only eight pieces of pie, what am I going to do? I don't want to be one of those two people who don't get a piece of pie. Now, abundance mentality thinks the exact opposite. It says, you can win, and I can win at the same time, and there's more than enough for all of us to get what we need, what we require, what we deserve. We exist with this tension in terms of our generosity. We start to worry that if we give away some of what we have, there won't be enough left for ourselves. In 2012, 22% of Canadians gave to charity. That was the last census. 22% of Canadians thought that they had enough income to give something extra. That means four out of five Canadians felt like they didn't have anything to give to charity, to any kind of charity. And the medium gift, like the median gift for, for all givers was $270. So the average gift out of the one in five Canadians who can give to a charity said they could afford $270 extra a year. Now, an amazing stat out of this was when I was, when I was reading this, this census uh, report was that 40% of those gifts were to religious institutions. The church was giving so much more than others. And now, listen, I know there's a lot of expenses in a Canadian household. And scarcity mentality says, you know what, I need to make sure that money goes here, that money goes here, that money goes there. Some of you have an Excel budget, don't you? I, I have one, and you've got, you've got all the columns, and there's, there's, there's rent and mortgage, and there's food, and there's gas, and, there's, and, there's, uh, and there's, there's all the bills. And what you do is you take your paycheck, and you go, well, I'll put here, 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 and here. And if there's anything left over, I can give. But most times, there's nothing left over. If we're going to function from a scarcity mentality, that's how it goes. If we're going to function from an abundance mentality, we look at it the other way and we say, I've got more than enough. There's absolutely, God has abundant resource. He has the ability to give whatever, whenever. And so I give. I'm not worried about if all the columns are filled up. I'm not worried if, if I fit all of my salary into each one of those commons, uh, each one of those columns. I was reading part of this report and it was, a, and, and it was about giving and and, and, and how, people were, how people were giving, and this is where we got some of the Canadian numbers. It said this, to meet every basic human need worldwide, so the basic needs of food, shelter, 
and, and, and clothing. We require approximately $102 billion extra every year. That's what the world would require to, to kind of make sure every human being was fed, clothed, and housed. And then it said this. The American church alone, the church in the USA, if they just tithed, the folks that say they're Christian and go to church, if they tithed, there would be an excess of $172 billion extra every year if the American church tithed. So if the American church tithed, every need could be met worldwide. The Canadian population is giving one out of five. We're functioning with this scarcity mentality that I need to make sure that I meet all these bills because the bills are real. We know that. They're not made-up bills. But we start to function without the knowledge of the Bible being applied. Here's, here's what it says, Leviticus twenty three twenty two. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field. This is the law that was given to the Israelites. Don't harvest everything you have right to the edge. Or don't gather the gleanings of your harvest, the extra. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. God instructed his people right there, leave parts of what you make for the people who don't have enough. 78% of Canadians say, no thanks. <laughs> or they may give in the kettle or the Salvation Army around Christmas time or there's $20 to the kids jump rope for heart or something like that. But they don't give as a part of their regular mentality. And listen, generosity is not defined by wealth. Christ followers of all income are called to this standard. It's the sharing of all of our recognition, of all of our profit, of all of our power. Generosity is not defined by our income. It's not defined by need, meaning we don't give just because something we feel is legitimate we'll give. We're not called to give just because we feel, hey, this is really what I should give to. We're called to give because Scripture says we should. We're no, we don't give because we have enough money. We're, we, we're called to give because Scripture says we should. We live, generos- we live generously because God commands it. And we give because we're blessed. And when we say we're blessed, what does that usually mean? What does that mean when we say we're blessed? What do we have? Money. (laughs) Right? Oh, I'm so blessed because I got this house and I got this car and I have this income and I have this. We go back to the Sermon on the Mount. Remember last year we spent like the entire year on the Sermon on the Mount? And uh, in, in Matthew 5, when he says, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the peacemaker, Does he mean the merciful and the peacemakers are rich? No. The word happiness. That's right. The word is happy. The the Greek word is, uh, or the the original word, I'm not going Greek here, is uh, makairos, and it's happiness. And many translations that you may have will say happy because we, we've, we've misinterpreted the word of blessing. Blessing is being satisfied, is, being, is, having, is having that peace that God is going to be able to meet every need. See, material wealth has no correlation to blessing in Scripture or God's kingdom. Jesus had no, mo- no money. He had no home. He didn't have a Hummer. Matthew 8.20 said, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of God has no place to lay his head. But we'd call the Son of God blessed, wouldn't we? (laughs) Yeah, we would. Because he had his needs met by his Heavenly Father. And if we buy into this idea of blessing, then we would say that only first world nations are blessed. Because they've got that kind of resource. And we would say large portions of our world just simply aren't blessed. And we know that's not true. We know that blessing means something totally different. 
And when we start to live generously, we start to understand, no, it's a position of the heart. And God has called us just to say, I'm not going to penny pinch. I'm not going to count my numbers. I'm not going to worry about my budget. I'm not going to be irresponsible, <laughs> but I'm not going to worry about my budget in terms of, in terms of making sure that everything's met and doled out so that there's nothing else to give because we're called to give and live generously. Okay, second thing is this. Generosity reminds us that we're a steward, not an owner. 2 Corinthians 9.10. I want to read this out of the New Living Translation. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. What would change if everything in your life that you had, you changed the position that it's not something you own, it's not your possession, you're just a steward of it. You're just a manager of it. It's, not, it's nothing that you have. God has given it to you, and it's yours to care for. Who owns it? Patrick got a car this week. <laughs> what kind of car did you get? Lancer. A Lancer. Patrick is his first car. I saw that online. Some of, you, some of you own a car, and your car is your baby. Who owns a car that's their... Well, I won't make you put your hand up, but you have this car that's your baby. I bet you've already washed and waxed that sucker, haven't you? you got, and there's no food allowed in the car. I bet you're... Your car is your baby and you invest time and energy and it shines and it's beautiful and, it's, and it's, it's the thing that you have. Now, what would change if you didn't own that car? That was God's car. You're just stewarding that car. And there's somebody with a baby who's given to bring up some of what they've just eaten, as we know babies are. And they said, I really need a ride to the store to help to buy some groceries. And you looked at your baby with four wheels <laughs> And then you looked at that baby with puke, <laughs> and you thought, I don't think I want that baby going in that baby. <laughs> but if we know that it's God's car, it's not my car, we go, no, that's more important, because this is just a thing that I, I don't even own it. I just steward it. What would change if you didn't own your car, you stewarded your car? What would change if you reminded that your house is not your house, it's God's house that you're stewarding? Would there be people that would be staying with us and living with us time to time because they're of need of it? What would change? What would change if your bank account was not your bank account, it was God's? You just managed it for him and gave whatever he asked you to. What would change if your life was not your life, but it was God's life, and he said, if I've asked you to do this, then maybe you're going to need to do this because it's not your own. I purchased it with my son. (laughs) We've got a missions team this week that have been in Costa Rica. And they sacrificed time, they sacrificed finances to get there. And they said, God, whatever you have for me, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go and serve the people in Costa Rica. And it was funny, I was talking to Amanda. She said, you know, we've got two really hard days. The first day that we go is my wife. She's leading the team with Jeremy, our worship pastor. And, and they said, the first two days are going to be the hard days, like Monday and Tuesday, and then we're, then we're out of the rainforest on Wednesday, and then we're, we're in a hotel, there's Wi-Fi, there's air conditioning. The last week, it'll, it'll be missions, but it's not like the, when we're here, missions. So Monday, they hiked into the rainforest, and it's been a particularly heavy rain season down in Costa Rica. And Tuesday, they served in the reserve well, and actually, they had some trouble getting into the reserve. One of the vehicles that was bringing them in broke down because it was really muddy, and it had been, like I said, it had been a bad rainy season, but they said, okay, we'll find another vehicle. We'll get you out. So they started to to hike home on Wednesday morning, and they got a call just before they were all getting ready to go, and they said, we can't really get you out of the rainforest today. 
because that road is just totally washed out. We're going to have to wait and see what happens. We don't want to get another vehicle stuck. So there they were in the rainforest, packed for two days, two pairs of socks, two pairs of underwear, two bottles of water, and they go, Lord, (laughs) no, I had plans. And he said, no, I've got other plans. And so they stayed the day in the rainforest on Wednesday, and then they got up Thursday morning ready to go, and God said, I've got plans, and uh, it's still raining, so you just hang out in the rainforest there on Wednesday. And on Friday, they, I'm having a report, they did get out of the rainforest on Friday. They are home. They, they weren't sure, though, for a while. It was touch and go for, for a while to, to know exactly when they were going to come out. But through this week, they were able to preach in three different churches, and they were only going to be able to touch with one church in this, in this native reserve in Costa Rica. But they were able to go triple what they were doing, reach triple the people that they would have in the rainforest. And they were able to help with this uh, resource, this medical building. They were able to paint and clean up and do some things. We don't know why, but we know that God had called them to go, and they said, okay, God, whatever you have for me, I'll go. And they're, they're, they're dirty, and we're, we're just talking as uh, some of our family members are really going to want to have a nice clean shower and then just be dry for like days and days and days. Maybe, maybe we can like, get them like a, a steam clean or something so they don't have, <laughs> so they don't have to be wet. But they, but they went and they said, God, whatever you have for my life, I'll, I'll go and I'll do. And God protected them and made sure that they made sure that they're coming home safely. What would change if our cars, if our, if our bank accounts, if our lives weren't ours, they were his? I want to show you a video clip this morning. It's a beautiful story. Uh, it's by the pastor of Gateway Church down in Texas. And he starts to, tell, uh, to teach about, about what happened when he started to function this way. Now, it doesn't always happen this way. I'll just give this preface. It doesn't always happen this way. But he got this concept of, God, it's not mine, it's yours. And he'd given away 14 cars. And he had je- th- this story comes just after he'd given away his house to a couple that needed a house. And he wasn't quite sure where he was going to live. I think he was going to live with family for a while. And here's, here's, here's what happens to Robert Morris, pastor of Gateway. And I'll tell you one more story. I was sitting in my chair one morning having my quiet time, and the Lord spoke to me just real strong like this and said, Would you give me everything? Just like that. Would you give me everything? And I thought just for a moment, then all of a sudden this joy filled my heart. I said, Lord, I'd love to give you everything. I'd love to give you everything. So I went and talked to Debbie about it. And she said, well, let's do it. Let's go for it. Let's just, let's do what God said. So we gave away all of the funds, all the money we had in all of our accounts, including our retirement account. We gave both our cars away at that time. We had two cars and we gave our house away. We gave our house to a pastor that had five kids and didn't have a house. The next morning I'm sitting in the chair and I was kind of adding up how much I'd given. I don't know if you've ever done that, but I was kind of adding it up. I was kind of proud of myself, you know. And right while I was doing that, I was smiling. I had this big smile on my face. And the Lord said to me, what are you doing? I said, nothing. <laughs> kind of like I was doing something wrong, you know. The Lord said, no, tell me, what are you doing? I said, well, I said, I, I don't want to. I think it might embarrass you if I said something. Isn't that amazing? I was, you know, and the Lord said, well, go ahead, try. I said, well, I said, you know that old saying, you can't outgive God. And the Lord said, yeah, I've heard that. I said, well, I think I did. <laughs> I, was, I said, don't feel bad about it, you know, because you blessed me and all, but, but Lord, I mean, when you add up all of this, how much I gave, I mean, this time, this time, this is what I said. I said, this time, I think I've got you. He said, you think you got me? 
and the phone rang. And I picked up the phone, and this gal on the phone said, Hey, Robert, God told me to help you with your transportation. Now, here's what I thought. I thought, he's going to buy us a car. He's going to give us a car. But I still got you. I mean, even if he gives a car away, gives us a car, I just gave two away. And at that time, by, at that time, we've given away many more since then. At that time, I'd given nine cars away. I said, even he gives us a car, you know, we just gave two. We gave the house. We gave all this money. I still got you. And I said, well, what did the Lord tell you to do uh, to help us with our transportation? He said, he told me to buy you an airplane. And he said, I'm going to pay for the maintenance, and I'm going to pay for the fuel, and I'm going to pay for the hangar, and I'm going to pay for the insurance, and I've hired a pilot, and I'm going to pay his salary, and here's his name and number, and you just call him and tell him where you want to go and when you want to go. And the Lord said to me, gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. So like I said, I'm not saying that happens every time. That's not scriptural. That just, that just happened. <laughs> But God, God did something in his heart, and he realized when he gave everything away that he, God would take care of him. God's economy is based on us being stewards, not owners. 1 Timothy six seventeen and 19. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation in the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Listen, when we go to pick up our, your kids, my wife, <laughs> when we pick them up this afternoon, we can, they've, laid up, they've laid up treasures in heaven. They, there's treasures there based on what they've done. When you've given, there's been treasures stored up in heaven. And when we're called to live with an abundance mentality. We're called to live as stewards. Two other quick things this morning. Generosity is your opportunity to test God. A generous person will prosper, and whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. That's what it says in verse 25. And giving is the one area where God says, just go ahead and test me. And we saw how Robert Morris did this when he started to give away his stuff. Pastor Doug's financial advisor in Michigan, he lived in Michigan 15 years ago, was pastoring there, and he introduced him to the concept of reverse tithing. What's reverse tithing? The church pays you 10%, and that's what happens. No, that's not reverse tithing. <laughs> reverse tithing is this. There was a gentleman, he learned, he goes, you know, I have learned that God has blessed me when I started to reverse tithe. I said, God, 90% of the income I make is yours. 10% of the income I make will meet my needs. And this was a gentleman who was a financial investor, and he was a financial planner, and he showed up to the meeting driving a Jag, and he had a nice house, and he was living off 10%. And he's like, I would like to even go beyond that. I would like to give beyond that. And his son, who is now working with Pastor Doug, he said, I'm going to let your son take over finances. And his son said, you know, I'm at like 50%, but my goal is to get to where my dad got to, where I gave 90% and lived off 10%. These were people that said, God, I'm going to test you and see what will happen when I start to live generously. Deuteronomy 29.5, the Israelites, when they, were out in, when they were out in the desert... If you're going to wander around for 40 years, who knows you might need a new pair of shoes after 40 years? You may, like, 
Walmart shoes, what? We got like a nine-month limit. If you got kids, you know you got like six months. Those those suckers are gone. There are toes showing through in six months. When the Israelites were out in the desert, here's what the Lord said. During the 40 years I led you through the wilderness, your clothes didn't wear out when they trusted him. Their sandal, nor did the sandals on their feet. When they trusted God, their clothes lasted 40 years. I bet the rainforest clothes are just going to be burned when we get like those things that they wore for the last week where it's going to get rid of them. Their clothes lasted 40 years when they trusted God. And you may be listening to this message here this morning or online, and you can agree with being part of the 22% of Canadians that give. You say, I'm not going to be the ones that don't give. And you can even manage the stewardship idea. You can say, okay, God, I'll be a steward, not an owner. (laughs) But this extravagant generosity idea is a little more than your rational mind can fathom. And God says, try me. He says, just try me. These aren't my words. These are the words of the Lord. Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. He's just challenging you with 10% here. Bring the whole tithe in that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there won't be room enough to store it. That's the test and the challenge of God. Whatever you have, would you trust him with it? Would you test him with it? Last point. Generosity enables you to reflect God's character. You know that the original word generosity, it means of noble birth? This is where we get our word from. Because in the Middle Ages, the only people who were able to give, you had, your, you had your nobility and you had your, you had your peasants who didn't have anything else to give. So anyone that was going to give anything extra had to be nobility. And that's where we get this of no, generosity, meaning of noble birth. Uh, of noble birth. First Peter 2.9, But you, me, we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We're noble. We're God's special possession that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. We are the very presence of God in this world. And generosity gives us the ability to reflect that for other people. I'm going to ask the music team to come back. And this morning they're going to sing a song that reflects and gives us an opportunity to say, Lord, what do I have right now that you're calling into service? What do I have right now that I've been owning, but you want me to steward? What do I have right now, God, that I've been hanging on to, but you're calling me to give away? God, what do I have right now that you want to use so that your character is seen in the world? And this morning, I don't know what you need to do. Maybe you just need to stand with your arms open like this and say, Lord, it's yours. Maybe you want to get on your knees and take a moment and just say, God, God, speak to my heart. This is an issue, Lord, that I need to start to live differently with, with generosity. I don't know what it is, but I ask that in the next few moments, you just let the voice of the Holy Spirit speak to you and start to compel you to maybe to live at a level of generosity that hadn't been there before. That, that's the beautiful thing about serving God is that we never attain a level where we stop. <laughs> This gentleman who was giving 90% of his income away said, I still want to work to give more away. So regardless of where you are this morning, pray that the Holy Spirit speak to your heart and he call you to new levels of generosity.